There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Welcome to No Mere Mortals Cover to Cover series. The Cover to Cover series is a chronological journey through the moments in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation centered on the main character of Jesus Christ. In 2020, the Lord directed the start of the Cover to Cover series that originally began as weekly installments for Sunday morning youth teachings at a local church. In 2023, the Cover to Cover series will move to being a podcast series and Lord willing will continue to be weekly installments. Father, we thank you for this time. And and Lord, as we see Joshua ask that question, what does my Lord say to the servant? That right now that we would have our hearts and minds open to hear from you. Lord, that by your word, through your word, by your spirit, we would just understand you more, your character, who you are, and who you have called us to be. So Father, we thank you for this time. Would you fill this room with your presence? And would your spirit communicate to us this morning? In your son's name, amen. You guys can have a seat. So again, if you're turning there to Joshua chapter 2, or Joshua chapter 3, what we looked at in 2 is that two spies were sent out. And Joshua, who was prior to this in Numbers 13, he was one of two, or one of 12 spies, uh, 10 who would come back and give a negative report of the promised land, and Joshua and Caleb who would give a positive. So now Joshua is about to send the nation into the land, lead them into the land, and he sends out two spies in Joshua chapter 2. And when they first get there, they they get to the house of a harlot named Rahab. And when we looked at that, again, some people try and, they try and lessen that because they say, you know, culturally and historically, uh, that word could also be used for just an innkeeper. And you go, that's true. And, And let's not knock that. In fact, it says that the two men came and lodged there. So we don't need to speak more into what Scripture doesn't say, be silent where Scripture is silent. But what it does say is it says in there that these two men came and lodged at the house of Rahab the harlot. When you get to the New Testament, every time that Rahab is mentioned, the word harlot that is used there is unequivocally in the Greek, prostitute. And why this is important, guys, why, why we need to understand this is because where I understand the need, because it feels a little weird because you go, oh, these two spies get there. And you're like, oh, what are they doing in that place? But again, we, we looked at that last week about how, you know, actually, if you thought about it logically, you know, a place where people are coming and going, uh, people who are maybe who are a little bit loose of the lip and would talk about stuff, not a bad place for two spies to kick back and look. But what God's going out of his way to show, and I want everyone in this room to understand this, that who you were before Christ That does not bother him. And in fact, it it, it doesn't shame God. Who you were before Christ doesn't actually bring him shame. It brings him glory. And that he's not afraid to say, hey, understand who you were because of who I have made you to be. So knowing that this is not something that you need to hold shame in because it doesn't shame who God is. And that we look at as that the two men came to Rahab and she's speaking to them. She would say to them, I know that Yahweh has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, that all the inhabitants of the land are fate-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea, for when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. 
For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. And again, as we see, as, as Joshua is going to get this report from these two spies, is what these two spies are hearing. It's just before when you guys came into the land, yeah, there were giants throughout the land. But the truth is, is the land has heard of what your God did to Egypt, what he did to the giants on that side of Jordan. And we're going to tell you that those on this side, they're melted. That the land knows that there is one true God and that it is Yahweh. And to understand that what this, what's, what's really important, guys, is as we're moving forward and why we keep kind of driving this home. If you've been with us from Genesis, we finished the first five books of the Bible, to understand, this is really important to understand and get our heads around as we're heading into Joshua and the land and the conquest. Is there's things that bother a lot of Christians, but to understand the declaration and the war cry that is being called out is a holy war by Yahweh against these demonic, rebellious bloodlines in the land, as he did in Genesis 6, as he did at the Tower of Babel, as he did in the book of Exodus 14, is that as you're entering into the conquest, that this is a declaration against those rebellious bloodlines, of which there is no bringing them back into the fold, there is no reconciliation, there is only karam, utter destruction. But then also to understand this moment, as you, as you guys, as you've been with us, is to think about what actually happened at the Red Sea. See, we read about these and they're told to remember it. And yeah, we, we remember about how God parted, but remember how the people were freaking out. How what it felt like is that they were led into a trap. Egypt's army bearing down on them, them standing before a sea. Yes, we know the story, but they didn't. And again, all of this to remind us as they would face those giants, Sihon and Og, every battle they faced, every victory that God brought them was all used so that this woman on the wall would be able to say, I know who God is because I've seen what he's done in your life. To know that God will provide you victory in your life so that others around you will see him and know him and praise him. And then as Joshua had sent those spies into the land, 38 years of wandering, and now he's coming back in. Remember, when he, when he went into the land, he said, yeah, I saw the giants, but, but guys, I'm telling you that God can beat them. And now it's been 38 years, 40 years of wandering in this desert, 38 years since that moment. And what's the message that is received back to him? But the spies come to Joshua and said, truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. That Joshua is once again getting to hear what, I, what God told me was true. Yes, we had 38 years, but God went before. The victory is already won before we even step a foot across the Jordan. And for everyone here to understand that as children of Yahweh, when you become his child by faith, you were called into this holy war, bearing the weapons of truth and love and light and that it starts in our heart, it's in our home, workshopped here on this thing we call the local church, and then armed with the word of God, where to declare to the nations, know his word, know him, and know his peace. Because I, again, I, I, I don't think we can say this enough, but to know that in Christ, your pain is not pointless. That he has promised to use every battle and every one victory to declare who he is and to show the world 
who he is calling them to be. And again, to understand that what you were before Christ doesn't shame God. It glorifies him. So with that, guys, let's look at Joshua chapter 3. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from the Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from the place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Guys, this is so important. So as they're getting ready to head into battle, the first thing that Joshua commands them to do is not, hey, gear up, grab your armor. He doesn't say, hey, let's start preparing rafts and boats because we got to go over the Jordan, which we're going to see in a little bit, is overflowed at this moment in springtime. No, what he stops and says is the very first thing. Okay, the orders to march out and move have been given. Battle is coming. And the first command is sanctify yourselves. That for all of us to know that when the trials hit, the number one game plan, we sit there and go, well, how do I deal with this problem? Let me analyze, let me think. Well, let me see what other people might do in this situation. And yet what Joshua's reminding us is when the rubber meets the road, when, when the hard times hit, when the first step we should take is sanctification. And how do we come to know that? As Jesus would pray in John chapter 17, verse 17, he would say, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. It's the first thing we should do is when we see that is go to the word of God. Go to his word and be sanctified by that. Then Joshua spoke to the priest saying, take up the ark of the covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Guys, we saw this in chapter one, three plus times over and over. And yet here again, it's now time. Okay, Joshua, you're gonna lead the people in and the thing he comes back to him, that amazing promise of the Lord, Yahweh Jehovah is to say, Joshua, know that I am with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Hivites, and the Perserites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you, into the Jordan. He's saying, guys, know that the Lord is with us, that any trial you face as you're looking down the line, he says that it's the Lord who is with you and he will go before you. He will fight that fight. He will drive out your enemy and all we have to do is by faith walk in his victory. That's why, again, it starts with that sanctification to know his word, know who he is, know his peace, know that he has promised each and every one of you that as his child, he says, I will be with you. And that when you see the battle before you, he says, know that I'm the one who's going to cross over before you. Let me be the one who goes and fights the fight and walk in his victory. Now, therefore, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, 
one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters that come down from upstream, they shall stand as a heap. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water for the Jordan overflows all of its bank during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zedaron. So that the waters went down into the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Now, we looked at this last week. Again, I want you guys to imagine is that for the last month, just on the east side of the Jordan, Jericho can see Israel camped out. They see that cross formation as we looked at Numbers. They've seen every night that pillar of fire and by day cloud. They've watched it for a month. And now as they get ready to move, they're watching the Jordan. And just, again, they're sitting there watching for themselves and going, okay, okay, they're getting ready to move. Uh, they're going to build some boats. No, 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 no boats. Oh, they're probably going to lay down this giant bridge. Good luck, it's overflowed. No, 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 no bridge. Okay, what, what's that shiny boxing that the, <laughs> these guys are just going to walk into the room what are they thinking and then as Jericho from the wall is watching Israel who they've watched for a month boom a wall of water from the Jordan walls up and pushes back and they watch the Jordan split before the nation of Israel from Jericho they're watching all of that go down and it says then the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground. Is anyone picking up on some imagery? Hopefully you are, is that this water was split and that there is dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Chapter four, verse one, and it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, take for yourselves 12 men from the people one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from over the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you are to lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan, each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel that this may be a sign among your children. Ask in time to come saying, what do these stones mean to you? So again, here's the scene. is the water has split. It is now dry ground. And God says, hey, I want you to go and have 12 men, one from each tribe, pick up a big stone from the river, Jordan, put it on your shoulder, cross over and make a giant pile of rocks, 12 piles of rocks. And I want you to do that at the place where you guys are going to stay tonight so that in the future when your kids come to this area and they see this rock pile, they're going to go, what does this mean? And guys, this is just something we've brought up time and time again, but this is a good point of how many times the Lord even does this. And I just want you guys to get to, to think is the Lord is not afraid to be examined. Truth is not afraid to be questioned. 
That should stand out. When someone has an issue with answering questions or looking into things, that should be a giant red flag. And yet over and over in Scripture, God says, take a look. Examine. After his resurrection, as Thomas would, did, did Jesus go, no, 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 stay back. I don't want you to see us. He goes, you know what? It's sad that you need to see this. I'm sorry that you couldn't just trust me and who I am. But you know what? Come take a look. You're going to see that consistency of God and his character where he's saying, I want you to examine. I want you to know. And then for all my guys in this room, I also want you guys to understand this and so cool. It's because the language is very clear is that this is a conversation uh, when, you, when you look into the grammar and when you look into the, the vernacular of, of who's being talked to is that this is Joshua speaking to dads. As he says, you know what? There's going to come a day where your kids are going to ask a question. They're going to look at the scene and go, what does this mean? And Joshua doesn't say, take him to the priest, take him to the pastor, take him to the religious guy. He says, dads, you give an answer. Dads, you were placed here to give an answer, to answer this question. And it's simply to answer from, from what you have seen and experienced and see God do in your life. When your kids ask the question, dads, be ready to answer. As he says there in verse seven, then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off and these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones from the midst of the Jordan as the Lord had spoken to Joshua according to the numbers of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood and they are there to this day. Now this is something interesting. So Joshua has these 12 guys pick up stones from the Jordan and go make this memorial on the west side of Jordan and they're building a memorial and then while they're doing that Joshua then goes and takes 12 stones from the land the promised land across from Jericho and he goes back to where the priests are and he starts setting these stones down in that river now the reason I just this whole scene to give you guys just a, a, a let's do a little Old Testament to New Testament combo here thing it's pretty cool to set your scene look through it this week and you know look through different commentaries and it's pretty consistently held that the area that we're reading about right here in Joshua where they crossed the Jordan is the same area that a man by the name of John the Baptist would go and have his ministry of baptizing people. That he came and took them to the spot where they had crossed the Jordan. And now to understand that, as we're seeing this, this movement of stones and what's this all about, I go, just within this now, let's do a little fast forward a couple thousand years. And now you have this moment where you've seen this monument of stone and then Joshua builds his in there. And as John the Baptist was baptizing, it says that the religious coming from the Jerusalem road come out to see him. And he says to them, therefore, Bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. So as John the Baptist is declaring to them, it's a memorial site. And he's saying at a place that echoes life by faith. 
and he's calling to them from the Jordan where they crossed, where they set up stone memorials, as he's calling to these religious people who have become self-righteous by their acts, he's saying, don't think because you're born into a certain family. Don't think because you come to church on Sunday mornings and church on Wednesday nights. Don't think because you know a bunch of trivia questions. He's saying, no, know that he could raise up from these stones his at a very sight to declare a remembrance of life by faith. That whole scene that you're going to read about when you get to the New Testament takes place in this spot of the crossing of the Jordan. So the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished, that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried and crossed over. I like these kind of moments in Scripture. <laughs> it's that these, these guys are holding the Ark of the Covenant, bearing it on their shoulder. They step their foot into the Jordan. Boom! You have a wall of water on one side, and they're just kind of standing there watching it. It's dry ground. They're holding the Ark, and it's like, okay, guys, keep your distance, but make your way across. And I just like that they doesn't say that. People are like, well, that's pretty cool. Look at the water. That they hurried across. But let's just also put something in a little bit of perspective. Yeah, there are millions of people. It probably took 8 to 12 hours. So I'm glad they hurried. That was really nice. But we're still talking about 8 to 12 hours that these guys are holding up this Ark. I don't know if they had rotating shifts, but they had to move that entire camp across the Jordan. Then it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. And the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. And Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord come from the midst of the Jordan, and the souls of the priests touched the dry land, that the waters of Jordan returned to their place and overflowed its banks as before. Could you imagine the sound? You guys have ever been by, by rushing water or just in, in this moment, it's like what has happened is the Jordan was a wall, dammed up, a wall of water. And as they crossed over, a life signaled by walking in faith that the rushing sound of water came flowing through. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over that all the people of the earth may know the hand of the Lord that it is mighty that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Now I'm so pleased that I get to hear this from you guys often and if there's one thing that you ever walk out of this place or, or your time in this ministry with us together that I hope you guys understand is that the greatest commentary on scripture is fantastic. If you guys just get that one thing I will feel so so blessed. Because understand what happened here is what Joshua is doing is something so important. Is Joshua is taking a historical context 
that a generation that had passed away before. And he is drawing a link between what just happened at the Jordan and the Red Sea. And then he is saying to them that what happened years before to the context of the situation is going to serve as a lesson for the generations to come after. So as you read for yourself God and his word, and someone would try to throw at you, oh, well, you know, context is that, you know, that's, that's thousands of years old. The Bible itself sets up a context and a structure and a pattern that says, take the history, see the lesson learned on it as a type of revealing God's character, apply it to your situation, and know that it is a lesson for those to come. And with that, we come to Joshua chapter 5. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. Guys, again, you you need to see the pattern and, and the connection here. That what God did at Jordan what this was, is what did Rahab say to them? We heard about what he did in Egypt. We heard about Sihon and Og, and we melted. And then as they're seeing them march through, as if history replaying itself, they watched the Jordan split. And it is as if they understand, and this is one of those important moments, is, is whenever, you don't have to just take my word for it. It's to see how people respond in Scripture to understand the declaration. These people of the land, why are they melting? Because they understand what they're seeing is a declaration of war by Yahweh himself. And they are melting. This is, again, this is, this is something for us to recognize in Scripture is that this is not just me telling you this is what they say. Is It's saying you look at somebody's response to understand the declaration. There are things that historically or, again, culturally we can miss, but when you see how someone in the passage responds, you understand the declaration that's being made. So why are they melting? Because they already told you. We know who your God is, and we heard about Egypt and Sihon and Og, and we're watching it again. They understand, and we understand that they understand who that is and what the declaration is by how they respond. Why is this important? It's because some will come to you and say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Jesus never said that he was God. I don't know what Bible they're reading. And by the way, you don't have to just take it that this is something that, you know, uh, this new church and this American church came up with this idea and is trying to shove in. Look at the context of Scripture because the greatest commentary on Scripture is fantastic is look at how the people respond to understand the declaration. John chapter 10. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those do you stone me? So Jesus is teaching, he's healing, and the people pick up stones to kill him. And Jesus is asking a question, very valid question. Uh, So I'm doing all this good stuff. What of my good deeds, what of my good works are you going to kill me for? Why do you have a stone in your hand? And the Jews answered him saying, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy because you, being a man, make yourself God. The context and the commentary on scripture within it is the people in the religious leaders heard Jesus' words and said, what you just said, you are calling yourself God and we think that's blasphemy. They're wrong, but it doesn't change that the people in the scene know exactly who Jesus claimed himself to be because they told you. I'm not telling you. 
that, well, this is what it means that Jesus said he was God and I'm trying to read into the situation. I'm reading out of the situation that the people in the scene said, this guy, Jesus just called himself God. And in fact, he would go before the Sanhedrin before he would go to the cross. It says, the high priest answered and said to him, speaking the high priest to Jesus, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. Jesus answered to him, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man, invoking that Daniel 7 language, sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witness? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. So again, in the situation, the response reveals what was being declared just as here in Joshua. Why are they melting? Because what they see is a call back to the Red Sea and they understand who Yahweh has declared to be and that he is declaring war. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself. By the way, flint knives, not, not steel. Not, hey, you know those swords you have? Shh, take, a, take a piece off of that and sharpen it up. No, he just says, hey, take a, Take a rock. Get a rock sharp. I just, if no one else has no other tool, no other, okay, rock knife. Here we go. And circumcise the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. By the way, that's named Gilgal and doesn't have a very pretty name. It means hill of foreskins. Again, bank that away for him who wants to know. Uh, and this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way. After that, they had come out of Egypt for all the people who came out had been, had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who had came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to the fathers that he would give us, a land flowing with milk, of, milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. I don't know if anyone else, you could go, hey, spiritually, symbolically, makes sense. I don't know how many of these guys would have gone, wait a second. <laughs> you want to do what now as we have crossed into territory of the enemy? Why didn't we do this on the other side of Jordan? I get it. Okay. Let, let's get right. Let's, let's, we're going to sanctify and circumcise back to the good old days. But what does God have them do? He takes them into enemy territory and then in the worst military strategy Ever, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to incapacitate all your fighting men. I want you to cross over as Jericho watches you and then completely incapacitate yourselves. How about that? And they do it. And you might find yourself going, this pattern makes no sense. Guys, this, this is so important for us to pick up on because God is going to call you to walk by faith and there's going to be times that you step in what feels like enemy territory and then God's going to tell you to do something and go, this makes no sense. You'd be incapacitating me except stop and remember one thing. Because of it being his war and he declared war, the people of the land don't want to go anywhere near them. 
God had already gone before and melted the enemy. They are freaked out. They don't even want to come by. That God called them into a place to rest, knowing that he had already begun the war and gone before them. That God was fighting the fight for them, and he's simply calling you not to understand it, but to trust him in it. Because the enemy was melted. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. Now this is something, again, interesting if you just want to follow the pattern. In Exodus chapter 12, we were told that you had to be circumcised to take the Passover. Now understand what God was doing. He was setting up, hey, he's consistent to his word. Circumcision and then take the Passover. And it's going to be that they're going to heal for about four days coming into the land. And guys, this is just something else to just understand. That when God says that he wants to remove our flesh character, that the cutting away of the flesh hurts, it's going to drop you. But then you can rest in healing in the hand of the Lord who is your refuge. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, it was declared, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. It says, and they ate the produce of the land on that day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain. On the very same day, then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Cana that year. For those who like to take notes, this is an interesting moment. For the last 40 years, they've been fed by that heavenly bread. And now as they have crossed into that land, have had their memorial of remembrance of a life by faith, is that in that moment, the manna had had stopped up. That manna that Jesus would declare for them to understand later, he says, no, no, see, that was all a symbol because those symbols will pass away. But Jesus says, that was a symbol of me to come, that he is the bread from heaven. Verse 13, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? This is one of my favorite moments in scripture. So he said, no. Joshua, they've crossed over. He has, he has incapacitated his army. He's looking at Jericho going, all right, what do I do, what do I do? There, this man standing with a sword in his hand. Are you for us or for our adversaries? No, no, no. But I come as the commander of the army of the Lord. I have come. Guys, to again understand is this is understanding who the declaration of war was against. Is that in this moment to understand that we are not at war against flesh and blood, against image bearers of Yahweh but against the powers and principalities who use the blessing of prosperity to bring humans into bondage by chains of pride. That Joshua is looking at the human enemy and saying, are you going to be for us or them? And he goes, no, you don't understand. That's not what war this is. See, there's a woman on the wall that I've come to rescue. Oh, I've come to to melt the enemies, but don't get off on the wrong one. As 2 Corinthians chapter 10 reminds us, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. 
Guys, you were chosen in love. Out of the chaos of this world into the order of Jesus Christ. That being trained by the blessing of obedience and daily meditation on his word, you have been equipped to tear down every demonic altar of deception, darkness, and pain. Full with the armor of love, truth, and light of Yahweh who saves. Jesus, Yeshua. It says, And Joshua fell on his face on the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does the Lord, my servant, say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord of the army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Guys, did you catch who that was? Where have we seen that exact statement made? So here's Joshua standing before the commander of the Lord's army. And when he says, what do I do? He says, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. Where does that hearken back to? In fact, let's just follow this back. So Moses, standing at the burning bush, is told what? Take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. Who is he talking to? Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, God himself. Then what took place? A Passover. What happened after Passover? The parting of the waters. Now let's take Joshua's experience. Parting of the waters. Then the Passover. Then taking off your sandals before the angel of the Lord. This is Jesus himself. This is Yahweh who saves, who has gone before them to say, I have brought you into this land. Today, our Joshua, Jesus, as the commander of the army of the Lord, offers to bring us by faith to enter, conquer, and occupy his promised land, a life where we can live and walk in his victorious promise. That promise of Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, Yahweh, Jehovah who saves, not from the battle, but through it to show everyone around that he is God, that he has had a plan from eternity past and that he declared in the garden, he completed on the cross. Guys, it is finished. The victory of Yahweh who saves is yours. Won at the cross, proven by the empty tomb in its garden for us to walk in. Not by good works, not by memorizing. He could raise up stones but as a memorial to faith, a life called by faith. Enter in by faith, knowing that with every trial you are called to face, that he has promised you he will be with you, that he will go before you, and we can simply walk in his victory, that eternal victory won at the cross in every day of your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are and who have you declared yourself to be to us, who you call us to be by faith, in what you have accomplished. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room right now going through a struggle, going through a trial, shackled by shame, that you would declare to them and they would know today that you are not ashamed of their past, but you call them into a new life by faith, not of works, that they would walk simply trusting in you as the one who has forged the way, who has won the victory, who has melted the enemy, so that we could declare to everyone around us your love, your peace. Would we know your peace? Would we know you by your word? Because your word is truth. In your son's name, amen. 
The cover-to-cover -cover series is part of No Mere Mortal. The No Mere Mortal ethos derives from the biblically grounded and inspired work of C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory. You can find more No Mere Mortal content, including the cover-to-cover -cover series, on our website at nomeremortal.org. Follow us on Twitter, Truth, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, and most major podcasting services. Subscribe, follow, like, comment, leave a review, and share. The music you've heard has been provided by Sicko. That's C-I-K-K-0. And you can find him at YouTube at Sicko's Beat Suck 797. My name is Bryce, and you are no mere mortal.